Hi guys, and welcome back to the Two Cents Pretty Podcast. Uh, it's episode nine, and those astute listeners out there may notice this is not Jeff's voice. This is John. Uh, we have no Jeff this week. He's currently in Morocco, so I hope he's having a pleasant time, but hoping more so he'll be back next week to join us. But it does mean you've got the John and John show. So, uh, JV, welcome. How's it going? Yeah, I'm well, thank you. How are you? Yes, I'm good, thank you. I'm good. How's your week been? Yeah, it's not been too bad. It's been a good, awesome, shall I say, eventful weekend of football. Um, and looking forward to this episode, Jeff's um, let us loose, so it should be should be an exciting one. Yeah, I'm a little bit concerned that we've been allowed to continue without Jeff keeping us on a uh, short leash. So yeah, hopefully this time might be on well. the naughty stall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it might be a Jeff solo show where uh, we've been banished for a week. We're going to think about what we've said or done this week. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully it won't go too badly. But uh, let's jump right on in. As you said, it's been an eventful weekend uh, or extended weekend, I should say, with uh, some some crazy games, crazy results, and some crazy uh, events that have happened. Um. Can we start with the Arsenal versus Newcastle game? Yeah, I think that's a good starting point. Yeah. <laughs> um, another weekend, another set of our controversies. We will move on to the slightly larger one, but let's start with the Arsenal-Newcastle one. Um, Havertz, tackle. Is it a red for you? Is it something the Vars missed? Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I actually think it's a tough one. Because I think the way Havertz has gone in, it is dangerous and it is reckless. And if he catches any part of the Newcastle player, I'm pretty sure that's a broken leg, broken ankle, at, at like just completely no control. The only reason how I can see that not being a red card is the fact he's just missed the leg. And because he hasn't made contact, they've decided not to overturn it. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence with it because I can, I can see why they've given it a yellow. But I just think the amount of velocity he was going into that Newcastle player, whether he gets any contact with the player or not, I kind of think it probably should be a sending off. Um, so I'm a bit torn. But yeah, I, I mean, I think people can have sort of different opinions on this one. I'm not sure if you're what you think, John, on that. No, 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 no different opinion for me. Um, I think it's an interesting one because previously VAR was, uh, would overturn this sort of decision because it is deemed reckless. It could have been dangerous. And this comes back to the conversation I think we've had before about consistency in decisions. Um, whether he's made contact or not, thankfully he hasn't, but I think it should be a red. Uh, it's a lunging, reckless, very dangerous tackle. Thankfully he doesn't make contact. But that shouldn't be a reason that he doesn't get a red. So, yeah, as usual, I think you and I are in agreement. It probably should have been red. Quite surprised that they didn't overturn it, I do have to say. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it's potentially a good thing in terms of if the VAR are kind of maybe sitting on the fence wall, that they're perhaps sticking with the on-field decision and, and the ref sort of, I guess, natural instinct. So, I mean, maybe that is a is a good thing. Um um, but and I guess it's all kept it at eleven v eleven. But yeah, it's it really for me it's really on the fence in terms of whether they should be overturned that or not. Um, 
yeah, I just think he just goes in with so much force. There's just no control. Very reckless, which, if you look at the rollback book, that probably means it's a, it is a red. But yeah, it's interesting that they haven't overturned that one. I think most people would have expected that to have been overturned. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned 11 versus 11. Um, I guess that leads nicely to another VAR controversy. Uh, Bruno Gimaraes, a deliberate elbow to the back of the head of Jorginho. I say deliberate, I, I know, I'm putting quotations around that. Another yeah. controversial one. Do we think that that should have been read as well? Should it have been a 10 versus 10 match? Yeah, I think, I think for me, it certainly looks deliberate. I think Bruno sort of comes from behind and he has Jorginho in his eyesight. So he, he definitely knows he's there. So I'm, for me, that's a, that is a red, it's an elbow to the face and I think he's deliberately done it. Um, I can't remember, did that one go to VAR for, for check? Do you know, John? Do you know what? I, I don't actually know even if it went up to VAR or not. Again, it's one of those that I think if it does go to VAR and doesn't get overturned, you need to question why. But the fact it hasn't potentially gone to VAR, yeah, it, it's kind of baffling. Um, again, it's not the force in which someone is hit with, it's the act itself. I'm not saying that, you know, Havertz will toggle or, or Bruno's uh, sort of, you know, swinging an arm out would be red cards in all eras of football. As you said, like the rule book now and how it is now, they're both red card offences. So I'm just surprised that you've got this, uh, you've got this sort of system in place that's not being used properly. Yeah. And here we are, we're again, talking about VAR and something that it's done wrong or the controversy that's caused at least. Yeah. Mm. Um, I guess slightly stepping away from VAR, but you know, the Arsenal-Newcastle match, um, it did finish 1-0. I mean, well, I guess there is one more huge VAR incident in terms of the Newcastle goal. Um, but we'll circle back to that. I was going to ask, do you think Arsenal, having signed Havertz, have missed out on an opportunity to really bolster what they need, which is probably another striker? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's my one word answer is yes. I think yeah. I think so. I think they've taken a huge risk in signing um Havertz. Uh he's he's one of those play he's a strange player, I think, for me. I think at Chelsea he came over with a lot of expectation. And apart from the Champions League winner, he was very similar. He was I don't know I don't actually know what his best position is. I don't really know what his best position is. I don't even really know his style of football almost as well. He's a very weird foot- <laughs> weird footballer. And I just yeah. don't I just can't see how he fits into the team. And I think to be honest, to be fair, I think if there's one manager that could get the best out of him, it probably would be someone like Mikel Arteta. But yeah. yeah, I don't think he's really added anything to the Arsenal team and you look at sort of the position they're in now in terms of Jesus Juice is injured, um, and Ketia. I mean, he's on good form in Ketia, but you probably need a bit more of a plan B maybe to 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 him. So, yeah, I think they could have definitely spent their money elsewhere. Maybe if it's not even a a striker, maybe if it's so maybe more defensive reinforcement or something like that. Um, I think yeah, I I think they probably made a mistake on that one. Yeah, it's interesting you said about Nketiah. Um, 
I spoke to an Arsenal fan uh, earlier this week and his opinion was Patrick's against Sheffield United are Nketiah's level and we need someone better. And I thought, is that a bit harsh or is that a fair assessment of a player of his sort of standard? I don't think that he's certainly not a poor footballer, but is he, um, you know, a Haaland? Is he, you know, what Aguero would do before, what Rooney would do? Is he the sort of player, or, or Kane, you know, who will effectively put so many goals you know, in in a season, in both, you know, cup and obviously league competitions, that he's actually going to be the difference between you winning the league or securing a Champions League spot or winning a cup or not? And I think it's, yeah, my opinion's no. Um, I don't think he's bad, but I think he's probably got some more development still left in him. Um, I think he's reasonably young. I'm not entirely sure of his age. Uh, 24, apparently. So, yeah, he should be a few years away from his prime. But I think between him and Jesus, you know, there's obviously been a few injuries that have sort of pulled him away, Jesus, but it's it's a lot riding on just those two as out-and-out strikers. And Havertz, as you quite rightly said, don't think many people do know what his best position is. At Leverkusen, they seem to get the best out of him somehow. Then he went to Chelsea. The Champions League final goal is the only goal that I can really think of that had significance or it was the only sort of moment that he was really sort of covered in glory. But then Arsenal signed him at such a whopping fee. And you sort of think they didn't probably need to do that because he wasn't in great form and I don't think he was desperately wanted to be kept by Chelsea. So you do wonder. But on the flip side, as you said, if anyone is going to get you know his full potential unleashed, someone like Arteta absolutely is a good manager. I think he's a good you know, person manager. Um, he probably could do it. I think they need to work out where to play him. I think Havertz probably needs to work out where he needs to play himself as well. So, yeah, he finds he's he's almost like a bit part for different positions sometimes he goes up front sometimes they they sort of play him slightly deeper sometimes he's out on the right or or the left it's like actually maybe he just needs a run of games maybe they just need to decide a gate of position and be like right you're just going to get a run of games and you're going to be a a cam i mean or something like that just to maybe he just needs to sort of familiarize himself with a with a position and get get into the groove of that rather than sort of going around all these different roles and being expected to do different things. Um, I mean, yeah, but at the moment, it doesn't look too promising for him, I don't think. No, I think you're right. And um, funny enough, you say about yeah, playing with a cow or something. Same Arsenal fan I spoke to said, we needed someone to play on that left side of the centre mid. So the signing made sense, but the signing being Havertz didn't make sense. And I think that's interesting because they're trying to play him out on the left, it's not quite right. They're playing central, it's not quite right. The band is a striker, it's not quite, quite right. It's a little bit like the Firmino conundrum at Liverpool where it was he looked quite a striker, not quite a cam, but actually he was much more effective. And I think he he offered so much more to that team that I think went unnoticed for a while and then did sort of come to the fore and obviously contributed a few goals as well, particularly towards the um, the end of the time there. But get to see it from Havertz and I'm not entirely sure if we will anytime soon um, but I guess time will tell on the subject of goals uh, Anthony Gordon 
another potentially controversial one, but should it have stood? I I actually think it should have stood. Um, I think so. It's it got reviewed for three different things. So the first one with the ball being out. I mean, it looks out. I think VAR are, are almost correct in terms of they can't be conclusive in terms of whether it can or it can't. Um, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think we have the technology to say, yeah, it's definitely out or it's definitely in. So for me, I'm I'm fine with the fact they go, okay, we can't determine that. We'll go with the on-field decision. The second one is the one where I think there's probably the most, I guess, reasoning for the goal to not have stood, which is the push on Gabrielle. And uh, to be honest, I don't know if it's with the the footage being in slow motion, but I thought, I think in slow motion, it looks like there's not that much sort of force on the Arsenal defender. So when I look at him, I'm like, hmm, although he's sort of put both hands on, on the Arsenal defender, I'm like, but is that enough to be considered a foul? I think he's gone down quite easily uh, looking for the foul. So for me... Again, I'm almost in agreement with VAR going, actually, I don't think that should be overturned for that. The final one, which was the offside, I mean, they said they, the, well, there weren't sort of lines they could have done. So I guess, I guess similarly to the ball being out of the pitch, they can't conclusively um, decide whether it's on or offside. Then I guess, I guess you sort of stick with the on-field decision or give the the striker the benefit of the doubt if it's sort of really really close um so i think for me on, on the whole i'm i think the goal should have stood although it was for newcastle um and but i can see why maybe fans are i guess just a bit bit annoyed around the whole var process i mean i don't know i think arsenal fans are perhaps all clutching at, at straws on that one to be honest <laughs> yeah i think um I think you're you're mostly right. I mean, if it's inconclusive whether the ball has gone out or not, and this is where goal line technology is so useful um, because it can conclusively say whether anything is over or not. But the fact it's only used within the two posts means that it will never be you know able to be used outside. So fine. Um, on foot decision stands, I think that's the correct call. I think if they're not sure, they shouldn't overturn. Therefore, same reasoning on the offside. If it isn't, uh, conclusive, then don't. Although that's more of an interesting one because they've made so many calls, Bar have made so many calls uh, on offsides that it's interesting that this one they, yeah, they could have shouted away slightly by leaving the other decision. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's another interesting one. Um, I think the most shocking thing to come out of the fixture is Arteta's reaction. Um, and I understand manager's passion, uh, I understand players' passion, but um, he's made a lot of comments about VAR and about the officials. And I think, strangely, Arsenal as a club have sort of doubled down on what he said. And you don't usually see that. Usually it's, you know, a manager might say something and a club will remain neutral, or that um, a manager will be reprimanded by the uh, PGMOL or whoever it is for those comments. Um, it's. Do, do you think that they were fair comments that he made? Um, 
no i don't i don't think so to be honest um i mean i wouldn't say i wouldn't say the officiating was disgraceful in that game i mean i think you know there were calls out there which could have gone either way and i can understand why a manager would be frustrated in terms of how some of them might not have gone gone a certain way but to come out that strongly i mean he's obviously he at the moment and had to do an interview but for the club then to back that and liverpool did something similar the other week with Klopp in one of their games they came up with a statement as well and I don't know I don't think that's the most productive thing for a football club to be doing especially sort of the the big teams in in the league um I'm sh- I'm sure there must be a much more productive way or system they can go about things which could actually maybe improve the game rather than coming out publicly and almost I mean it's almost humiliating the 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 referees and the whole association i know at the moment it does doesn't seem great and there is a lot of criticism in terms of the standard but to come out publicly and do that i don't think it's helping anyone no i think that's fair and yeah you know, before we we start recording today's episode you mentioned about gary o'neill and his you know constant ranting of officiating and whatnot and i think you're right it's not productive to just come out and say this is bad that's bad as you said Arteta is saying that it was a disgraceful performance from the officials that's very strong considering a, a potential red card and Havertz wasn't given I mean for all we know he may have been hoping that Havertz would have been sent off as well I mean I'm sure if the Arsenal fans themselves would be hoping that sometimes that he's not putting in some of the performances he should um, but it's quite a strong stance to take I think on what could be argued as you know some some incorrect decisions either side. It's it's balanced mistakes almost. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I so think, it's interesting. I think in terms of the football side of things, in terms of how the game went as well, I actually Newcastle I think did a job on on Arsenal at the weekend, and they made it extremely frustrating for the Arsenal couldn't get into their groove in terms of how they they usually play. So yeah, I think it might be a mixture of Arteta feeling really frustrated with his team and the whole officiating sort of come into play. I mean, it might be a combination of both, but yeah, I don't think coming out with statements against referees in a game like that, I think the the other game we're going to talk about was a lot more eventful. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, I think it was, um, I think it was strange. <laughs> yeah, I think that segues off very nicely onto, uh, what is one of the craziest games of football I think most people would have seen or listened to, caught the highlights of, or, or whatever? Spurs versus Chelsea. I want to say what a game, but <laughs> I think just what a what a theatre, um, what a spectacle! It was very bizarre to say the least, uh, the amount of sort of, well, we, we can run through it play by play, but we might be here all night. So I think in a nutshell, it was what, three, or, three or four disallowed goals through VAR, um, yeah. two sending offs, ultimately five goals in the end, uh, a penalty that was actually given. Um, it, I mean, it's, 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 you know, the 
it's the side of football that every neutral loves and I think every supporter just sort of dreads seeing their team on the wrong side of it. So I feel that the, well, I feel for the Spurs fans um, and I'm sure the Chelsea fans are very happy, obviously, it's a local derby and whatnot, you know, London derby. But um, I think going through some of the, the key points, um, Jackson obviously got a hat-trick. Um, I don't think there are many games that a player gets a hat-trick and the the sort of review on it is he could have been better. He should have had more. Um, also, cracking up the CR7 celebration for that third goal, I don't think was quite warranted. But, you know, you do you. Uh, do you think that this will help him to kick on? Do you think that's a turning point? Or um, I mean, it'd be good for him if it is a turning point. Um, he's... He's what he seems to be a player that gets into positions almost a bit like Timo Werner, I think, was for Chelsea. Gets into positions, can't finish almost. And and I think you're right. He's got a hat trick in this game, but he was generally one of the worst players on the pitch, and he could have had a, a double hat trick in there. So, <laughs> I mean, hopefully for him, it's a it's a confidence booster, and, and he can kick on from it. But there's been plenty of games this season where his finishing has just been diabolical. And one that sticks in memory is, I think, one against Bournemouth. And he's in a position and he completely slices it high and wide. It's is just that like, why they kept on expanding the yeah. goal? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, are you a striker? <laughs> I think that's the most concerning thing. Again, and it sort of comes back to the Arsenal argument. Um, is he the right person to lead the line for a team that should be challenging for the title? Um, yeah, my opinion is no, quite a simple one. Uh, I'm sure yours will be the same, but just for the sake of completeness, I will ask, do you agree? <laughs> I, I do agree. I think he's yeah. probably got sort of youth on his side. I think they've he's also, 22. yeah, so he's got, yeah. he's got a bit of development. I think, um, I think Chelsea are also waiting for Nkunku to come back, who I think was going to be their, their main signing so it'll be interesting when he comes back but I do agree in terms of where they should be challenging in the league Jackson's not who you want up there at the moment if you're going to be going for trophies and top fours and stuff like that no I think that's fair and actually I forgot about him because he got um quite a bad injury didn't he and he had obviously signed a year in advance of actually joining and he was in great form previously um clearly a talented player did well with France at the um both at the Euros and at the World Cup as well. So I think, yeah, I think he was at the World Cup. I the rolled out just before it, but yeah, I, it's yeah. You, you don't look at someone like Jackson and say, yeah, he's he's going to basically win us titles. Much like the Inketia, I think situation. Although I would probably say that Inketia has slightly more proven his worth because he wasn't signed for such an amount or, or you know there isn't such an expectation um and again another conversation I had earlier this week around that was that Chelsea I think someone said to me Chelsea are a team made up of 30 40 million pound players um that aren't worth 30 or 40 million pound and then you've got a couple of 100 million pound players in that team that should be worth 30 or 40 million and ultimately you've got a bunch of players individuals that haven't been allowed to gel, that have been signed for amounts and then had that extra pressure put on them. And it's interesting because it's clearly 
you know, it hasn't worked under the whole Bowley structure. Is Pochettino going to be able to bring it together? I mean, he's had a couple of good results, but then he also has had a couple of pretty shocking results. So they're not consistently getting the performances and the results they should. Um, I think the way they beat Spurs, you know, Spurs continue to attack and come forward when they were still down to nine men. And it's, it's you know, that's ultimately kind of what their undoing was. But it's nice to see a team that has gone down to 10 or 9 that hasn't just thrown in the towel and thought, we'll park the bus and try to scrape something out of this. But they've gone there with the game plan, they've tried to stick to it. Um, and I think going full circle to the VAR controversies, um, before we, we started recording as well, you mentioned about Ange and his post-match interview. Um, I'll let you talk about it, but refreshing to say the least. Yeah, 100%. I think where we see the likes of Arteta and O'Neill, and I'd probably include Klopp in, in that as well, where they, they do tend to come out and attack referees. It was very, very refreshing for a manager to come back where he could have been like that, um, um, Ange, in terms of the VAR and the whole theatre of what happened in, in this game. But to come out and say, look, you know, you get some decisions, you don't get some decisions. It is what it is. We move on. The referee's decision's final. It's actually, it, that's completely right. The referee's decision is final. It's not always going to be correct. And, you know, we had to live with that before VAR came in. They'd make right and wrong calls. So, I mean, I know VAR's in here to improve that stuff, but it's it's obvious that it's still bedding in. And I actually read an article um and our nz fans won't like this very much but it was for around um an interview of wayne barnes um the referee from the south africa new zealand rugby world cup final um talking about var and very interesting comment that he made was football are only two or three seasons in using var where if you compare it to the tmo they've they've had it for about 20 years so it's very well established um but there are still things within the TMO that they need to learn in terms of including fans within the experience of the whole TMO. And the and so I think that whole bit that he was talking about in terms of learning lessons and different sports almost collaborating to make the whole experience smoother, more efficient, more reliable, I think is a, is a brilliant point. And uh, it'd be great for VAR to, or for um, uh, who's the head of PGA, the ref association howard webb it'd be good for him yeah. to take a very similar stance and sort of learn from you know rugby obviously still learning and they're 20 years down the line so yeah very refreshing from Ange to sort of say something like that and although there's controversies i think you know i think overall var in a couple years time hopefully we're not still talking about these issues that we're having now um, you hit the nail on the head about 20 years down the line, there's still improvements being found in rugby. But we had discussed this before as well, how VAR is very nascent to the footballing world. And um, instead of them taking a leaf out of the TMO structure and sort of just embedding that, they kind of tried to reinvent the wheel. And that's, I think, where it's falling shorter than it should. Um, I, I don't think there's any need to have this like pride about implementing a system from scratch take what other sports are doing and doing well and and use that as like the bedrock of what you're doing don't 
don't try to yeah do it all from scratch where you don't need to i think you know howard webb and i think all of the um the officials that are associated with within the pgmol they should all i think just put their pride to one side admit that things aren't working out and just see what they can improve um i'm sure they want to do that but to publicly come out and say that they need to do that is going to be quite humbling so yeah i, I don't think, know if it will happen i think a big part that's all come out of var within the game in terms of when a game's being played and also outside once in terms of when games aren't being played or outside the stadium as, as some people might say i think the whole including the fans is really really important the fans want to know what's going on in the game when a var decision is being looked at they want to know a decision is being reviewed and what for um and similarly outside when a game's not gone right they want to know actually how are we now going to improve and how are we going to change mm. the game so that so we can start reducing that thing i don't think the associating bodies are quite getting that right at the moment no i think you're right and i think um they're quite basic things as well that's what's quite worrying it's like you and I and you know millions of people around the world or billions make a mistake, you hold your hands up and you say, I'll do that better or shouldn't have done that or you know, it was incorrect. And that's fine, but it's how you improve, it's how you bounce back from that. Every week with something new happening happening on the bar side, you just kind of think they just empty apologies. And you know, it, it doesn't change the result, it doesn't change the amount of points you get. You know, uh, an apology doesn't suddenly give you the two points or the one point you may have dropped because of it or rescind you know a, a bad decision um so long as they learn from it though it's fine and at the moment there's no evidence of that it's mm. the same issues week in week out the same course of remediation which is a yeah we've issued an apology and then the issue again then the apology you think something's got to break that cycle where they either you know they should either stop putting so much pressure or expectation on the use of VAR and let, you know, referee decision final. You and I grew up with that and we're only sort of 30 and 29, you know. So it, it's not something that most footballers that are playing now won't have known. The referee decision is final. No matter how much technology you have behind it, there needs to be more respect towards the officials in the first place. And I think managers getting on their back is not helping with that because then it undermines the whole need to have a referee on the pitch. Mm. Um, but even during the decision-making process of VAR, just let the fans into what's being discussed. It would also get rid of the, the controversy from a few weeks back where um, was it Liverpool and the, hang on, what, you know, on-field on decision was offside, but it's clearly onside. Oh, well, too late, I'm carrying on. Like, if you let people into the decision, I'm sure they're going to make enough noise there and then to say, hang on, no, you, you've made a mistake. But also, it, 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 it's just, yeah, just quite shocking. Like, that it's, it's a rinse and repeat every week. But hey, it gives us something to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I guess, again, sort of talking about, I guess, more the football kind of side of that game. I think one player that, has stood up for me over the last couple of weeks for Chelsea has been Cole Palmer. I think he's moved yeah. for quite a lot of money. And I think initially, I think maybe his first couple of appearances, people would be like, oh, why has he gone there kind of thing? 
I think he's take he's a very cool and calm customer. I find. I think he, he's taking the penalties. I mean, he stepped up to that's the penalties. incredible. I think, I think the other week he actually. T- I think someone else, it might have been Stern or something, wanted to take it. He's like, no, I'm taking it, and, yeah. and he and he scored it. And yeah, a very. I've been impressed in terms of his demeanor, how composed he is. I mean, he always looked good at City. Um, so mm. I think him getting a run of games will be actually really, really good for him. I do wonder, do we soon see him in an England shirt, potentially? I think so. Um, I think he, you know, I, we said this about a couple of other players already, but he's definitely got youth on his side. But it's interesting that he was signed for what, 40, 45 million pounds, something like that. Um, nobody's talking about that, which shows that it was an absolutely fine move. Um a lot of Chelsea signings have come under a lot of scrutiny, but he hasn't been one that's been brought into the conversation much. And it's a bit like Bryce at Arsenal. No one's mentioning that he costs a hundred million because he he's been outstanding. But Havertz at sixty five, seventy million, whatever he was, is being picked up. And it's when a player is justifying their price tag that it um it, it doesn't warrant a conversation. I think Palmer sort of he, he's in that bracket. I think he was doing well at City. I think he was doing well to get minutes at the City. Um, I think Pep, yeah, notoriously likes to rotate his teams and Cole Palmer was getting some time. Um, I think he could have been a big part of that squad this season and, and even more so in future seasons. But the fact he has chosen to go to Chelsea, it might actually work out for him. Whereas for the other 20 or so signings they've made in the last two years, it doesn't look like they have so far. So I hope he can push on. I hope he doesn't end up sort of falling short of what he could have been because of all the additional pressure that comes with you know, being at a club that's struggling and well, so far so good um, as you say demeanour his whole I think mentality and his, his uh, wisdom for such a young person is quite you know just very impressive it's kind of like how we sort of praise Bellingham you know it's a wise, wise head on a very young set of shoulders so yeah, good luck to him. I hope he carries on. And yeah, definitely wouldn't regret seeing him in an England shirt. Um, hopefully, he's actually English. Here's where we find out that he's <laughs> belongs to one or the other. Uh, yeah. Check out, thank God he is English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just double check that to make sure he wasn't, you know, Welsh or Scottish and have a potential backlash from listeners. No, you can't take another one. Or Irish. We seem to have a lot of Irish players that end up at England. Yeah. So, right, yeah. being one of them. So, um, we'll segue it in with uh, the talk of a £100 million signing. Harry Kane. He's done it again. He's got another hat-trick. Um, he's not bad, is he? <laughs> yeah, he's he's just in blistering form. I think I heard the <laughs> other, in the commentary the other day in, for the Bundesliga, they're calling him King Kane at the moment. Oh, it's beautiful. And, yeah. And so 15 goals in 10 Bundesliga games. And he's obviously chipped in in the Champions League as well for them. So, yeah, yeah, I think they're saying he's on course. If he keeps up this current scoring, he's on course to beat Lewandowski's record, which is 41 goals in the league. Um, and, yeah, almost do it in your first season, potentially, is crazy. He's just slotted in to that team like a duck yeah. to water. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. It's almost Haaland like last year, actually. 
I was going to say, if he can break the record in his first season, much like Haaland did this year, it would be amazing because obviously Haaland in Germany was phenomenal as a goal scorer. Um, he's brought that over to the UK and he's done that to a somehow to a bigger extent because he's playing in a, a world-class team with world-class service. Kane is kind of interesting. We did touch on this a couple of weeks back, but he hasn't necessarily, or from what I've seen, hasn't always had as much service whilst being at Bayern. And I think maybe that's coming a bit, you know, coming through a bit more now and hopefully it is, but Patrick at Dortmund, yeah, Dortmund are no pushovers. They're a great side. Um, obviously beat Newcastle yesterday, 2-0. Um, we, we're recording on, on Wednesday, just so the listeners are aware. Um, so this this is not a team that are pushing. Um, yeah, uh, getting a hat-trick against whoever it was, they beat 8-0 you can easily sort of sweep that one aside and say, yeah, well, it's an 8-0 win and blah, blah, blah. Dortmund, that Dortmund, you know, behind the, or in front of the, the yellow wall, as they call it and stuff like it's, it's a bit of a fortress. They absolutely tore them apart by the sound of things. Win 4-0 is a, is a brilliant result. I think you're right. In the first few games, it was, there was, I think, a few questions around the service that was coming in the game. And this um, against Dortmund looks spot on. For Kane, I actually think there were some points within the game where if they passed to Kane, he would have had more. And so there, I think there is an element there where, you know, they're not constantly picking him out. And if they, it's almost like everything he's touching at the moment, he's he's in that goal scoring position where we were almost saying the other day for Tottenham where he wasn't always, because he was too far deep. He's now in that sort of goal scoring area. It's like if Sane and Nabry in certain times actually passed him the ball more he was I'm pretty sure he'd have more than 15 goals which is crazy but yeah, yeah. that's wild <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I mean it's brilliant to see um I guess just an honorable mention to I think his name is Serho Garassi I've probably just butchered his, butchered his name but the Stuttgart strike with 14 and 10 as well yeah, we I think we mentioned him a few weeks ago as well. He had like ten after his first five or something. Um, it's quite amazing because Stuttgart are you know by you know they're, they're third. They're having a good season so far, great. But fourteen goals in I guess that's also in ten games as well. Yeah, um, it's a great return. And in any normal walk of of any league, you would go, well, he's probably going to be the top scorer. And then Kane has just decided in the last couple of games to go. No, no, that's that's my golden boot. Thank you, I'll take that. And yeah, you know, as you said, he's on course to do something quite incredible. If he does continue at this pace, he'd get what sixty goals. That um, Sehu Girassi could end up in what fifty-five or so goals. You know, mm. to not get a golden boot with that amount of goals potentially, or, or to extrapolate out, it would be unbelievable. But yeah, yeah I think. I think the thing I read about him as well is his current goal scoring record is just completely out of the blue as well. I think last year he only got, I think, 15 in terms of the, the whole season or in terms of a big chunk of game. So I think what surprises that he's actually, this just was not expected. It's not like a Harry Kane where he's clearly a world class player or a Haaland where it's. It's, I guess, plausible that they could do something like this. I think for him, it's just actually he, last year, last couple of seasons, he's just been an average striker. Yeah, I think I heard that in his first five games, his first ten goals, 
he had scored, I think every shot he'd put on target had gone in. I think I might be wrong about that. And uh, you're right. That's not the sign of someone who's clinical. That's a sign of someone who is really in that purple patch, seeing good fortune because Haaland missed a lot of chances, scores a lot of goals. Kane misses chances, scores a lot of goals. But those are world-class strikers that do it consistently. Like, I would love to see this guy just kick on and suddenly finish season with 70 goals and a stupid amount. And, you know, it would be, it'd be awful if Kane was to miss out you know, after the season he's had so far if he continues that. But similarly, like, you kind of don't want either of them to, to not, you know, to not get the accolades they deserve at the end of it. Um, and I guess, yeah, conversely to to the point of, you know, Kane potentially winning the golden boot and whatnot, um, the team, the Bayern team itself, should be walking that league every year and they're still currently sat second. <laughs> um, Leverkusen have had an absolute flying start. Nine wins, one draw, no losses. And their only draw was at Bayern, which is a great result for any team in that league, any team in the world. Um, Jabby Alonso working wonders there. Yeah, yeah, it's a brilliant start for them. And some of the other games that they've won, they've beaten some other decent teams in the league, RB Leipzig mm. and Mönchengladbach as well. So they've yeah. pulled out some really, really good um, wins so far. And it's not a team I, I'm too familiar with, but I had a quick look of at their, their hand. And it's obviously where Granit Xhaka went from Arsenal, so he signed for Bayer Leverkusen. Um, up front, they've got uh, Patrick Schick, who was the Czech striker, and he he was the one yeah. that um, he had a really good Euro twenty twenty. I think he got, I think he won the. Did he get the golden boot? I read that he joint got joint goals with Cristiano Ronaldo. In yeah, that he, he was behind him. Yeah, and so I was going to say. I mean, him. Yeah, and so he's a striker that he's obviously had a a good tournament, but you know it's not a an out and out sort of world class player. So it's a very interesting squad, and obviously with Xavi Alonso in there as well. So I guess the other player that I sort of picked out of that squad was a guy called Nathan Teller. And for those that don't really know or don't really sort of follow the championship, he was in the championship last season for for Burnley. Um, on loan from Southampton and he absolutely tore up the league last year and he was one of the best players in the league by by a country mile and I think in this transfer window Burnley wanted to sign, sign him on a permanent but Southampton just you know he's randomly gone to buy a Leverkusen so he was a name actually I was surprised to see when I was looking at at their squad and he was a bit of a you know a bit of a surprise package but it sort of I guess goes with that overall sort of Bayer Leverkusen team. Yeah, and it's interesting because um, again we're talking off off pod about this, but the whole Dortmund mantra is to sign young players who have talent, to nurture them, develop them, develop them, and then to sell them on for potentially more. Um, obviously, that last part isn't great for the ongoing sort of success of the club, but you do wonder if other teams in Germany are seeing them do that and they are thinking, well. You know, Bellingham came from the Championship, performed very, very well at Dortmund, really honed his craft. Obviously, you had Sancho, you had Haaland, um, you have, you know, the likes of you know, Alfonso Davies, players like that who are young and are, are in that league and are, are thriving. What's stopping the likes of Leverkusen and, you know, someone like Xabi Alonso, who's got a very, very 
well-renowned footballing or good footballing brain, why would he not be looking for that talent and then also be the right one to nurture it? I mean, Arteta's mm-hmm. done it with, uh, he, he's obviously got a very good footballing brain, but also had Pep's guidance. Xavi Alonso's played under some of the best managers and played alongside some of the best footballers in his career. Um, but he himself is a very intelligent footballing person. Who better to have sort of pushing you through and helping you to develop? And I think he's obviously had a great start to the season with Leverkusen. So let's watch this space. But Yeah, I mean, one question that I, I've kind of got, I mean, I'm, I'm no sort of um, Bundesliga expert by any stretch of the imagination, but over the last couple of years, a lot of the, the league seems to have a lot of goals in it. And I'm wondering, are we now seeing a bit of a better product in Germany in terms of leagues? I know they're sort of, the whole perception is oh, it's a farmer's league. There's only Bayern Munich and Dortmund. Bayern Munich win it every year and Dortmund might have a bit of a push, but they'll come second. I think mm. last year we saw Union Berlin have a period at the top of the league as well. And they're a bit of a surprise package. But yeah. I don't know, from guys that sort of watch the Premier League, are we kind of looking at a league and should we be looking at Envy? Because there's just bagfuls of goals in that league and there seems to be a bit more competition about it now. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think one of the things that sort of differentiates Germany from other nations, especially the other big five um, footballing nations or big five leagues, is that they have to have slightly over 50% of the manage or sorry, the ownership of the club with fans or, or not with somebody. And that does in turn make it more competitive. Now, obviously, Bayern Munich have got a lot of money and they, I guess, are able to buy better players. You know, they can sign Kane for 100 million. But that doesn't mean that they, they, they still have to sign the right players. Um, Dortmund have proven you don't need money to be able to find good players. Um, they sign cheap, they sell for more, they're building that up. But as you said, Union Berlin and... Uh, yeah, RB Leipzig is a bit of a controversial one again because they are kind of they're owned by Red Bull, but they have found a way of sorry, they have potentially you know um, found a way of sort of circumventing that ownership strategy by having other people own it who are probably affiliated with Red Bull, but they aren't Red Bull Leipzig. It's the Rasen Bullsport, you know, banter, but shortened to RB, so they can put all the logos and all of the uh, advertising around it but there's nothing stopping these teams from actually uh pushing forward and actually having a bit of a run in the league um dortmund were they they effectively lost the league on the last game of last season so what more drama could you want um yeah i should we look at it more i think that's one throughout the listeners you know Tell us what you think. Is there a league? Is is the Premier League the best league in the world, or are we all completely blinkered and blinded by you know our I guess our patriotism towards the Premier League? Um, I think that's one we have to throw out there to listeners. Yeah, yeah um, very very interesting. With sort of the Premier League, very I think money surrounding the whole league and yeah. very scientific as well in terms of. The, and the tactics and stuff, whereas I think that the German league seems to be a bit more free-flowing in terms of their football, but yeah, definitely one to get an opinion on, I think. I think it's actually an interesting point as well. The German league is obviously showing a lot of, I guess, promise from, you know, lots of goals, lots of entertainment and whatnot. The German national side have had a bit of a, you know, a bit of a 
poor patch over the last sort of what was effectively since they won the World Cup, they haven't quite hit the same heights. Do you think they are experiencing the same sort of issues that England had for a while where there's an influx of foreign players coming in and enhancing the league, but not enhancing the national squad because they, I guess, aren't playing with the same amount of, you know, know, take an example, you you used to have the likes of Ashley Cole, Steven Gerrard, Paul Scholes, all in the same team, all playing for different clubs, you know, Rio Ferdinand, but all having that rivalry with one another. I think we have it less in England now. I think that sort of grew out. Is Do we think that's part of the problem with the German national team? Or do we think it's just bad luck? You know, teams go through it. Italy are going through it. Mm. It's, you know, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, th- I think I tend to agree in, the, with, in terms of them being in a bit of a transition phase. And it, and it might be a few more years until we see a, a stronger a stronger Germany. I think when you look at the England squad now, it is because I think I think the league on the whole has probably developed, but also I think there was a rule that came in a, a while ago around having a certain amount of English players within a squad. And so I'm wondering whether that has actually had a good effect in terms of the, the England national team where you got the likes of Phil Foden who's come through Man City, um Jude Bellingham. I mean, he's not he's sort of a bit of a rising star and a bit of a an anomaly, I think. Um but I think sort of Rashford coming through Man United, um, Rice through West Ham. So I think yeah, there's probably been opportunity through that role role where um it's actually probably benefited us. I think with the German leagues probably perhaps coming reviving itself a little bit almost, maybe that will sort of benefit their national team and we might see a few sort of new German superstars. I think Musiala seems to be one that everyone goes on about. I think we probably haven't seen the last of players like Leroy Sane as well. I think he's on some good form at the moment. So I don't think they're too far away. I don't I think, like you say, they're not the heights that what they used to be where you had the uh, the likes of um, Closer up top and, and Muller and... Uh, yeah, Manuel Neuer, who's probably coming into a, a slight end at some point. But um, also with Neuer coming back from quite a nasty injury, um, got injured skiing and broke his leg after the World Cup. And you think, you know, it's one of those that you sort of go, well, that, uh, that's very unfortunate. Actually, it's bloody awful. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, had a bad World Cup, had a bit of downtime, broke his leg. That's it, done for the season. It was, it was nice seeing back in the squad, I think, uh, recently. But then they lost to a team in the third league in Germany who, you know, are battling relegation there. And you think, crazy, you've got them absolutely battering, you know, the the minnows, so to speak, of the Bundesliga 8-0. Then they go to Dortmund and win 4-0. Um, but they, they lose in the cup in the second round against... And they didn't power a weak, seat, a weak, a weak side, sorry. It was, it was, you know, it's... I mean, it's football to a T. It, it's the beautiful game because you, you see those results and you go, oh, crikey. Uh, didn't see that coming. No one did. Um, and you mentioned Jamal Musiala. Um, I am gutted because he was at England under 15, 17, 18, 19, year, whatever, 20. And, and then decided to go to Germany and play for Germany. And it's like, this is what it must feel like to be an Irish football fan <laughs> and see, you know, the Grealishes and the uh, 
and the Declan Rice and whatnot who have the potential and might even put on an under whatever squad jersey and then suddenly nah, going to go play for the other home nation. So I think what would have been, I think that that would have been a heck of a player to have in the England mm-hmm. ranks. Um, but yeah, um, I think speaking of good players, probably another good segue there. Pine a pint time. We've we've gone through this a few times. If you haven't heard how this works, please go back and listen to some of the previous pods. Um, but effectively, pint good, pie bad. JP in a week full of all the controversies around VAR and all the footballing events that we've seen. Give me your pint and give me your pie, please. Any order you want. Cool. So for this week, I'm going to go for a manager special of pie and a pint for me this week. So I'll start with my pie. We'll start with the bad. And my pie is going to Gary O'Neill of Wolverhampton Wanderers. <laughs> I've had enough of his ranting and his moaning and whatever else he says about the referees. I've had enough of it. So controversially, I'm going to give him a really nice tasty shepherd's pie just to distract him from his interviews i've just had enough of it shut up mate (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that's fair that comes back to what we were saying earlier about just jumping on the the officials doesn't actually help solve anything so very very much deserved um who's your pint gonna be we following the manager special theme through to the pints as well we are the pints gonna be a manager special as well so i'm gonna give it to Ange of spurs so although they've lost 4-1 um very good reaction to the whole referee sagas and also actually quite refreshing to see him nine players on the pitch against Levin and he still decides you know what we're going to go high line we're going to try and score goals <laughs> and you know they've lost 4-1 but they've had a go and it's actually quite nice to see so um good on you Ange love to see it carry on that style of football so have a pint as an Aussie would love. <laughs> Are we going to stereotypically give him a pint of Foster's or? <laughs> yeah, why not? Let's give him a pint of Foster. <laughs> I don't think I've met an Australian that drinks Foster's, so uh, I'm sure he'll be chuffed about receiving that. But no, <laughs> both very good and very fair choices. Um, I think from my, I'll go with my pints. I found it a bit easier. Jeremy Doku. Um, what performance from a young lad? Um, a goal and four assists. City obviously dropping to Bournemouth 6 1. Um, yeah, it's much like the Cole Palmer conversation we're having. It's a young player coming through the ranks. He's um, all, you know, finding his way into a squad that would notoriously be hard to get into, but actually really just making the point that he's here and making that name for himself. Great performance. Well on him. Um, I don't know what pint he'd want he might be too young to drink so give him a pint of water maybe yeah i think he's um from belgium isn't he so there must be some lovely oh, there belgium we go. Beers. <laughs> or something like that yeah belgium is i think probably one of the many european like central european countries that does do some good beer so we'll give him a left i believe that's a belgian beer um pie i, I think i'm gonna cop out again and just give a pie to all of var um it's the gift that keeps on giving for all the wrong reasons. Um, yeah, what more can we say that we haven't already? It, it's not VAR itself that's the issue. It's how it's being used. And that, I think, 
yeah, the pie should be for the officials using VAR. So I'll clarify, I'll give it to them, specifically Howard Webb, because he's top of the tree. Um, hopefully a pie, a good bit of scran will help him to get his mind clear and get the, the VAR system and the whole of the PGMRL just, just sorted. Um, I hope he enjoys what are we going to give him. I feel like I give bulky pies every week, so we'll go something a bit different. We'll give him a, a steak and ale, you know, something traditional, something that's hearty, you know, warms the old cockles and whatnot. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll do him good to, in the lead up to this weekend. Good. Um, shall we round off with some of our listeners' questions? I think you had a good one. I'll let you start. Yeah, so got a couple of listeners' questions in, both quite um quite interesting, so should be good. So our first one is what should be Gareth Southgate or who should be Gareth Southgate's replacement when he leaves England? Ooh. It's a tough one because I don't think people have embraced Southgate to the same extent that his uh international performances quite have warranted. Um a lot better than the bigger names before him so it makes me think that that might be a route to go down um i'm gonna we'll, we'll have to set rules on this one is this any manager that we could possibly want or is this a realistic manager choice you know, can i take pep for example um yeah, i don't I, think that pep wants the england job i wonder if we chain i guess so it's who, or should we go, who do we think will be Gareth Southgate's replacement for England? Because I guess that makes it a bit more realistic. Yeah, I like that. Um, I'm going to, with a very sort of heavy heart of saying, you know, because I don't really like the way he left Brighton, but I think Graham Potter, I think, would be, it would be, it's a, it's a high profile job, don't get me wrong. Um, but I think it'd be a good chance for him to get a group of very talented players playing a good style of football and eking out results or actually you know, progressing through things. He, I think he did better at Chelsea than what people give him credit for. Um, but with Brighton, he did turn around a team that was sort of struggling with fortunes. Um, realistically, I would like someone like, I don't know, if we're thinking someone who could do it and let's say is English, like Eddie Howe, I think a you know, great manager. I don't see him leaving Newcastle unless he's pushed up someone else and I think it'd be silly to do that so I think I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to say Graham Potter because I'm struggling to think of who else could be available to do it and would potentially be able to do the job as well mm. how about you? Funnily enough you've said both the names that I had in my head um, in Graham yeah. Potter and Eddie How I think sharing a name and sharing a brain aren't we? <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, I think, yeah, I think the the criticism that Southie gets is he's not tactical enough in terms of his substitutions and I guess his tactical nous of the game to get England to a place where they could win a major tournament. I think both the way Graham Potter and Eddie Howe set up their teams is, I think, is what this current England team need. There's just bags of talent in there. I think the way they play football completely suits the player we've got in, in in the England squad. And I think you're right, I don't think Southgate gets the praise he deserves for what he's achieved with 
the England squad and how he's reconnected the fans and and the team and stuff like that. Um, my gut feeling is that after the Euros next year, he'll probably end up going or or stepping down. Is my gut feeling? Hanging up his waistcoat. Yeah, hanging up his waistcoat. Yeah. I think that's when he'll be sort of when the natural replacement takes it um, takes course. And I would be happy with either Potter or Hal, to be honest. I think either of them suit, suit the bill. And, and like you, I can't really think of anyone else who would actually fit the team. I'm um, trying to think who the under-21s manager is, because that's where Southgate came from. But it's not they're not going to be at the same level that people will want a manager to be at, I don't think. Is it Lee Carsley or something like that? I think it's Lee Carsley, yeah. Yeah, it is. I think you're right. You you need a manager that's higher profile enough to be able to manage the, I don't want to say egos, because I don't think the current squad or the current group of players in the pool for, you know, for the England team are necessarily as big at egos as what we've had previously. So you don't necessarily need someone who's going to go in there and put everyone in their place. Um, but you do need someone who's well-known and has a proven track record or at least will be able to manage and you know, get players that come that come from different teams just to get them playing together. Um, it's, it's interesting that Selkirk's managed to do that so well because he, he doesn't have a great managerial career before this. You know? So it's a really, really tricky one. Um, I, th- I think I'm going to have to tap out on, on Potter and... and yeah. Potter as someone who's available and how as someone who I think would be you know, uh, a good ideal candidate who's not, you know, who's I think still realistic as well. Um, so yeah, but that's a very good question though. And I think, as you say, Euro twenty four is a natural sort of drop, dropping off point for Southgate. So that yeah, I'm, I'm guessing the FA are already thinking about it. Naturally, succession planning and whatnot. But it would be interesting to know how far in advance they're thinking about it and if they're actually sort of grooming the right managers into that role now or if they're going to wait to see who's available near it to the time. Um, yeah, I guess we'll see. And we'll see if Euro 24 is the final final swan song of Gareth Southgate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you said you had a second question? So we do have a, a second listener's question and it's a very different one and it's, and it's come off the back, I believe, from social media in terms of what's going on in the TikTok space. So from what I know, CBS is a football program um, which is um, sort of broadcast in the US. And for the Champions League, they have a panel of Kate Abdo, who hosts, and they have a panel normally of Thierry Henry, Jamie Carragher and Mika Richards. And so from what I've seen from this football program is it's almost... There's no rules to it. There, you know, it's not like Sky Sports where very structured. Um, they probably have to conform to some sort of guidance. They can't sort of, you know, they have to follow, I guess, some sort of script as well, probably. But within the CBS, no rules. They're almost having banter and having a laugh and a joke kind of thing. And so the question is, with CBS almost coming by storm on social media and TikTok, what is the best football program at the moment? Another very good question. Um, you're right that 
I think having the, the structured and formulaic approach that a lot of the British or broadcasting teams or, or companies do have, um, it's quite monotonous and it's it's quite, you know, outdated to an extent because you don't want people to be going on air and just saying anything, but you do want people to be able to speak their mind, to have a level of structure, but to be able to do what they want and let the conversation flow freely. Um, I think for me, my personal favourite show is the Match of the Day Top 10, which is quite a, a strange one. I don't know if you've ever listened, or I actually enjoy watching it because it's nice seeing them sort of, you know, actually react in person to things. But um, Gary Lineker is one of my favourite hosts. Um, I think he's great. But I, I think the dynamic between him, Shearer, and either Ian Wright or, or Michael Richards, whoever it is who's on there, I think it always works really well. Um, they are all very intelligent footballing brains, but they also say exactly what they think. And that's sort of structure, as you say, with the CBS stuff. It's They can say what they want. It's no holds barred. Um, that, I think, is good because they can they can have their own opinion on something and put it out there. And it's not, you know, some of the dross that we hear on, you know, or from some of the commentator teams where it's, you know, so-and-so's had a great season. They scored three goals in 300 matches. And you're like, I don't think that's a great season. Like, you know, you're sort of padding someone's ego a bit there. Um, I'm, I'm going to say... Purely on that basis, it's the BBC. And I, I don't say that, you know, with my whole chest. It's just that I like Match of the Day and I like Match of the Day top 10. Um, I don't watch as much Sky Sports as I did before. Same with the likes of BT Sports, TNT, all of those. Like, I don't really get a chance to watch those to the extent that I, I did before. But I noticed with the commentary teams and with the punditry teams, you know, Neville and Carragher, I think, for Sky Sports work very well. I think they're a great yin and yang. Um, but I don't see it enough anymore. So I can't put it any higher. Um, what about you? Yeah, I'll think about that. It's, it is quite tricky because I think when you compare CBS to currently what's in the UK at the moment in terms of what's broadcast, we don't really have anything like that. Um, I think Micka Richards is, is a great personality. I do like him, Roy Keane together. And similarly, yeah. like you, Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher, I think they're really good. Um, I think TNT or BT Sports, yeah, that's probably I think the worst out of the, out of the lot in terms of how that how that's done. I think that is quite boring. Um, in terms of a, in terms of what I think the best program is at the moment, it's probably it's along the similar sort of lines. The um, the rest is football podcast, I think, is which is the same. Oh, the Linica one. Yeah, yeah, Gary Lineker, Mika Richards, and and Shearer, I think as well, and that ha- that has a similar sort of vibe to CBS, where like you say, it's it's not sort of um, associated with a, a TV channel or anything, so they can go and discuss their sort of stories as footballers and give a bit more detail and a bit more of a laugh and a joke about things, which is which is really good to see, and you get to see a bit more of their personality. So I think Micka Richards seems like a right laugh. And like on the on the CBS thing, they got him sort of arm wrestling, like the his American almost like counterpart when they went over to Miami and stuff. So, it, yeah, it, I mean, it's a lot more fun than to watch the normal dross that you sometimes see on Sky Sports. But I mean, I guess there's a place for it. But um, 
in terms of the analysis and that. But yeah, I think in terms of program, yeah, I don't think BT or Sky for me. I think it's which probably again leaves it rest of football podcast or or BBC. <laughs> BBC. So I guess what we're saying is there's probably a lack of good football content in terms of football shows. Yeah. At the moment. <laughs> I think I think it really comes down to who the pundits are on each of these shows. And, you know, with the likes of Sky Sports and TNT and BT and whatnot, you need to pay quite a, a hefty amount each month to have access to those. So, by rights, that should allow them access to have better content, better punditry teams, and to, to really get the feedback from the fans about who's good on commentary, who's good on punditry, and to get those people in. And um, the BBC is constrained by obviously what it receives with TV licensing. So. The fact that they're able to have, um, you know, Lineker Shearer and Brittany, Michael Richards or Orion Wright on there, um, it's quite interesting because then Richards also does, uh, he does some of the Champions League stuff, he does Sky Sports stuff. So he sort of works throughout all of them. So it, it's not like any of the, you know, the, the, the big boys, so to speak, are able to like monopolize his time. And you kind of wonder why not, because he's a great personality. He's one of those people that you wanna, you want to listen to, and you 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 like I, me personally. I, I sort of I see his enthusiasm and the way that he actually talks about things, and it's all good spirited. Got a great laugh. Like yeah, he sort of really brings light to what could be quite like tense. And like yeah, you said like him and Roy Keane. You've got the notorious hard man of football who will occasionally break character because of Michael Richards. And Richards just does it naturally. Um, so I think great punditry, I think where they fall short on a lot of them is probably on commentary more than anything. Um, mm. And I think take away the likes of probably Ali McCoy, there are much fewer good commentators or I think good's the wrong word. It's like, I don't know about you, we, we grew up with, you know, Martin Tyler and, and those sort of, you know, the household voices that... Yeah. I, I enjoyed listening to, and they would be able to talk their way through the game seamlessly. Yeah, I think there's it's a bit of an art that is probably not as naturally present at the moment. So, yeah, and don't get me started on Don Goodman. The owl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but this is the thing. Yeah, you, know, you, you get people like Don Goodman, and occasionally you get like Michael Owen or someone like that. You're like. Right, like, okay. I've got uh, you know, Jermaine Jennings. I mean, I, yeah, I know that he's a BBC person. I said this, but I think you've got someone like that who clearly knows about football, but it just doesn't necessarily flow quite as naturally. Yeah, fine. I'm, I'm not saying these are bad comedy, but it's little things like don't get on the referee's back then comes out and publicly says something about the referees and you're like, yeah, and, you know, <laughs> just, just be you and people will probably quite like that. I think that's what Mick Richards does really well. Like, <laughs> yeah. People like him. Um, so he could say pretty much anything and people would just be like, yeah, cool. Like, you're very entertaining. I could happily listen and watch you just, you know, chat away with everyone. So, Yeah. There you go, we're getting the most out of our TV licenses, basically, is what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you. Were there, were there any other listeners' questions this week? or That was it for this week. There were our two. That was it. So, 
you know, keep them coming in, guys and girls. Um, it's always a pleasure having the questions come through to us. Um, we love hearing them. We love trying to respond to them, although these two this week seem to have stumped both of us slightly. <laughs> um, but we do appreciate you obviously continuing to listen and to give us your feedback and your questions. So I think that's it from me. JP, anything to add before we sign off? No, I think that's um, that's probably um, a wrap, I'd say. That's a wrap. Right, well, have a great evening, weekend, day, wherever you may be around the world. Um, thank you very much. I've been John. He's been JP. Um, Jeff will be back next week. You'll have a more natural host. Um, <laughs> and we will bid you adieu. <laughs>